We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. my sweetheart, my soul sibling. So happy to be connecting with you today. You know, I noticed a pattern in my life years ago, and I think there's always information in our patterns. If we know how to look at them and decipher the challenge or opportunity. So years ago, I would get myself into these big pickles in my dating life. If I was interested in a guy, I'd be all coy and flirtatious and cute. And then if we did go out, and the guy would put the moves on me, I would get upset. And I would explain that this was unacceptable because I was spiritual, quote unquote. Then if this guy wasn't immediately respectful, I would become tearful. It was very confusing. But what I know now is about this pattern is that I had different subpersonalities in the driver's seat at different times. My inner Barbie was the one that was coy and flirtatious and wanted to be beautiful and sexy. My inner nun was the frustrated, upset, spiritual one who wanted to be respected for wanting to be spiritual. And then my inner child was the one that would get upset or overwhelmed and find herself in tears. Once I learned about these aspects, I was able to heal this pattern and manifest my really whole and lovely husband. These days, these aspects or subpersonalities are aware of each other, play well together, and I have a more conscious awareness and invite who I want in the driver's seat of my life at any given time. To understand our different aspects is not only entertaining, it's enlightening and it's empowering. Many philosophers and spiritual masters have invited us and suggested that we know thyself. But perhaps a better invitation would be, and the one we're extending you here today, is to know thyselves. And here to help us do this for a second show is my guest and expert, Jordan Gruber, one of the authors of Your Symphony of Selves, discover and understand more of who we are. So Jordan, thank you so much for being here with us today for a second show on Journey to Center. Oh, you're so so welcome, Tammy. I've been thinking about our last uh, talk ever since we had it and just really (laughs) eager to continue the conversation. Yes. So it's, it's so helpful. It's so helpful. I feel, I feel bad for the people that aren't aware of this. It makes life so much more clear. And again, so much more fun. I don't know if that's been your experience of it. Did you find out about this later in life? Is it something you've always known about? How did it How did it um, help you in your reality? Well, you know, I can think back to times in my life, earlier in my life, where I had an intuition. I remember having a fight with a girlfriend, and it was a law school party. We drove down to the bottom of this hill, and I said, can't we just, like, forget all that and go back to just enjoying ourselves? And, like, in fact, we couldn't right then, but we could have. It's, it's something that's sort of built in. And in my case, uh, uh, I first heard about this idea in it presented like this, although I had been aware of, let's say, Gurdjieff. I heard about it in around uh, 1990 when I heard Jim Fadiman speak for the first time ever. I never laid eyes uh, on him before at Foster Gamble's Mind Center. And he was talking about most of these same themes. He might have even used uh, the word single self-assumption. Uh, it was many years later after Jim and I became close personal friends. And I helped him with some other projects that he said he wanted to work on this. So I, I think the idea was in the back of my head um, all along. And I would say the more I get used to it, the more I get adept at, at living my own life. Mm. 
And how has it helped you or supported you in your experience? Well, you know, really, it's mostly in those situations. I live with my wife and two other adults, and our daughter comes back from college sometimes. It's exactly those moments when someone says something, and you can decide. I can feel myself either <laughs> rising sort of into a different self that wants to, that wants to see what was put out as, as bait or a stick and pick it up and hit the other person. Or I can just <laughs> actually shift into my more chilled out, relaxed self. And, you know, uh, you know, there's so, you know, there's only uh, so many books about, you know, not, not giving more F's than you can care about, right. About different things. You right. usually most stuff isn't, isn't that important. I have a friend named Luther who likes to point out, and he's an integral coach now that 95, 90% of all of our misery we put on ourselves. We overreact over and over over and over again because we let the self that's up, you know, get offended or run with uh, indignation or whatever it is. And so once you have an internal awareness, you can live your own life a lot better and, and be a lot uh, more effective at it. And uh, I mean, you look at uh, some of the people we highlight in the book, we talk about uh, Beyonce, who came up with the uh, alter or some personality herself, Sasha Fierce before she could go out and perform. And we have a really nice focus on David Bowie and we're able to use some artwork from Helen Green showing six of the 30 images that she drew, or 29, showing how Bowie consciously moved into different parts of who he was at uh, different times. And so we, we have a focus on celebrities, a lot of them who have figured this out. And uh, one of the things we say right in the beginning of the book is that the most successful and healthiest people on the planet not only have selves, because everybody does, but they're the ones who have learned to work best with their selves and to yes. be what we would call the most cohesive, which we then define in terms of coherence, congruence, and compassion. So this is available to you know people all the time. I, I know I'm rambling, but I'll give you one more example. Uh, sometimes it's been my pattern that I'll go to restaurants, and because I'm very good at uh, putting up sort of psychic shields and not having people see me because my energy is intense sometimes. Sometimes it has the opposite effect. People don't see me at all and I won't get served and I won't get seen. And when I was younger, I would get upset and unhappy and ha make a little bit of a scene and make people wrong. And even sometimes they would comp the food, but it always felt terrible. And I never, it was never a win for the whole of me. Now, when I feel that energy coming up, if it's really coming up, I will literally walk myself out of a restaurant because the rest of me, the bigger part of me knows that it's just not worth it to get into that part of me and have those stress hormones and, and be mean and nasty. Why would I want to be that part of me? It's really just not worth doing that. And so once you realize you kind of have these options, you have a lot more flexibility in almost everything you do. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is so wonderful. It's really about becoming just more conscious, more aware, more empowered. And life is um, a lot more fun and a lot more, I don't know, for me, it's productive and more prosperous, more successful, more fulfilling. I mean, there's no downside to exploring this topic and really um, having fun with it. I think it's been so helpful. So you're bringing up another kind of a point that um, it's been helpful for me to consider Um the saboteur, you know, it's like the part of me that screws things up for myself. I think most of our challenges or issues are internal. And I could see my past, like I would sabotage things a lot. And, um, you know, Carolyn Mays talks about that as an archetype. But what I've done is my saboteur wasn't actually 
just a subpersonality. It was an aspect of a subpersonality. And it was often my inner nun, who was a big part of who I am, who was making sure that I stayed humble. And she did that by kind of putting the kibosh on my success. So finally, when I had this awareness to have this conversation, I asked my inner saboteur to come forward. It was my inner nun. And I said, what is your intention? What is your agenda? What are you doing? She goes, I want you to stay humble. So I made an agreement with her. If I stay humble, if I devote myself to every to God every day, can we have more success? And she goes, yeah, we can try this out. We'll see if you hold up your end of the bargain. And as I have, things have definitely opened up and become a lot more fun and joyful and successful in my life. And I feel like we're friends now rather than an enemy because we can't cut these aspects out of ourselves we can't say just, no, can't. I hate you and go away. It's sort of like it's whack-a-mole. It's going to pop up in a negative way somewhere else. Does that kind of right. make no. sense? Is this going along with oh, your no, philosophies? Makes, <laughs> yeah, that makes absolute, that makes absolute perfect sense. And I think it's, you know, fabulous that you found a map in this point, Caroline Meese, who in turn is borrowing from Carl Jung, that yeah. helps you get in touch with the different parts of, of who you are. I mean, there's, uh, I had a thing where um, an Enneagram thing where uh, my friend Luther, I mentioned before, had me take this 180 question, very intense survey that I could tell was mm-hmm. different. It turned out that I'm not a seven or a six. I'm a four. And I have these patterns of react. And he showed me this readout that made so much sense. And at first I said, yeah, but in different cells, I'm not these different things. And, da, da, da. and then I thought about it some more and thought, no. This is completely illuminating patterns that are very important and sometimes not that functional for me. Yeah, it comes through the Enneagram. That's fine. I can get value from the Enneagram and from astrology and from Myers-Briggs and from a lot of different systems. But if I don't actually know that there are parts of me that are kind of these uh, real, valuable, inherently driven of their own accord parts of who I am, which... Um, you know, Jung was closer when he was talking about autonomous complexes and archetypes to this. But if you don't know that, you really sometimes are driven by different parts of you to do things that the rest of you doesn't necessarily agree with, then you're a mess. Once you start realizing this is a situation, you can do something about it. It just makes a huge difference to a lot of people to have this kind of permission and to know that if, if they want to embody the, you know, I mean, I've got the coin collector and the meteorite collector and the, the cat addict and the rebound guy, and they're all kind of different parts of me, you yes. know, and they all have to get expression or I'm not as happy. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, back to the basic title of the book, I mean, every instrument in a symphony plays different notes. And when you coordinate it, it makes a beautiful sound. But nobody goes, oh, the oboe, it's not really worth having an oboe. It's it's bad. Let's not use the oboe. It doesn't, it's like, no, they all have a role. They all play a part. And it all works together when you realize you're a system of cells, or what we like to say, a constellation of cells, yes. and, uh, and you have patterns. You can observe your patterns. You go in and out of patterns. Every human being does. Yes. So helpful to know this. I would imagine, and I have this, uh, clients do this as well. Just imagine inviting your different aspects, your different selves, your different subpersonalities to have a, like a round table discussion, introducing themselves to each other. What is it you want? How can we play well together? And everybody's heard. Everybody's going to get their needs met. Everybody's going to have expression. It's just so lovely 
when we understand this and, and can start to apply it form within ourselves. And then the reflection of our lives can really shift in beautiful ways, really unexpected ways. It's really kind of magical. (laughs) Because it may turn out you also have a spiritually realized self that actually needs to come up and start meditating and get in touch with these bigger issues. You know, in in, in the book, we have a whole bunch of cartoons including a Kathy and a Thurber and some other things. Uh, but we weren't able to get a Big Bang Theory screenshot a, a permission for. And it's a shame because what they had in it, if you're uh, familiar with this very popular TV comedy, is they had the Council of Sheldons. They literally created yeah. a scene at the end of the show where there were eight different Sheldons talking to each other and trying to negotiate. And earlier in the episode, he sort of explains this whole idea to Penny. Um, so it's, it's there in, you know, popular television. It's there in movies like Inside Out, although it's a little bit different, but it's sort of the same ideas. And if you go back to um, Star Trek, The Next Generation, at one point, uh, Picard has this thing called a, a Curlin singing vessel. And inside are all these little figurines, unless all of the figurines inside are together and are singing their song together, you're not a whole healthy person. So it's the same idea. And you also see the same idea in, let's say, the Hmong people. Uh, Jim Fadiman's cousin, Ann Fadiman, wrote a book about the Hmong that's very famous. And if you look at the Hmong system, they believe you have a certain number of souls, I forget if it's seven or nine, and that all of those souls have to be in the body and have to be healthy and working together in order for you to be a happy, healthy human being. So basically, this idea is, is not new. It's, it's pretty much in a lot of places. And you even sort of see it reflected in uh, Christianity by having three in one, plus a lot of saints. Uh, you see it in Judaism, where we talk about uh, the different strands of the person on the high holy days and, and, and wrapping the, the filling on the fingers in a certain way. It's, 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 it's in a lot of places. It's just that we've been told since around 1910, you shouldn't talk about it because it's not real and you'll sound insane if you hear voices. But the reality is nearly everybody talks to themselves and it's healthy to talk to yourselves. And in fact, uh, the book talks about the fact that if you talk to yourself and you need to get something done in other than the first person, that is, don't use the word I, I refer to Jordan or say, we really need to get dressed down and out now. You light up (laughs) the frontal lobe rather than the amygdala. So when you say, I, the amygdala lights up and you get stuck. But if you start talking about yourself and a little bit second and third person, you, 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 you uh, become more effective right away. Yep. Let's go. That's what I'm trying to get the, get the troops working together. We, we got to go. No, do you find out the sometimes if you're running go. late, you have to say, <laughs> you have to say out loud to yourself, look, we really got to get going now. And we got to get a move on. We got to pull ourselves together here. <laughs> I do. I do. Like say that. the we, the we is, you know, He's all of me. So I have a question for you. Um, you say the reality of selves was really accepted in psychology by, I, I didn't know this, Freud, Jung, William James, and others, but then Freud turned away from it. Why do you think this is? Well, it's a complicated story. And chapter six, which is on psychology, is a big one. And we culminate it with a map. Uh, that says flows of influence, flows of influence. We were trying to see where this idea came in into psychology once it became a, a science and then what happened. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of action in France, in Paris. There was a guy named Jean-Martin Charcot, who you may have heard of, the great Charcot. People who came to study with Charcot included William James, the father of American psychology, yes. Alfred Binet, famous for his IQ test, Pierre Genet, who had a famous intellectual property dispute with Freud, 
about certain ideas in psychoanalysis, and then Freud himself. They all studied with Charcot, who was really the first person to start working with these ideas in terms of, uh, they, were, they were called hysterical patients back then, all women, and they were working this out. So Freud came to Paris and studied with Charcot, and even named his first son uh, Jean-Martin Freud. And then in Freud's very first paper on Anna O, published with Joseph Breuer, he specifically thanks Benet and the two Genets, which would be Pierre Genet and his uncle Paul, a philosopher, for their work in multiple personality. They explicitly credit them. Later on, and, and, and all this led to, you know, there were books by William James, and he had certain uh, students and disciples named Mor- Morton Prince and Boris Sidus, all writing major uh, volumes about this subject. In 1905, in fact, there was a big conference at Harvard University, which headlined Pierre Genet talking about all these things. And so Freud was initially aware of it, and he thanked them, and he named his son, and later on, he famously rejected what is called the seduction hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Freud was working with the highest uh, upper echelon of Vienna society, and people were coming to him and saying, you know, uh, there were things going on between, you know, sexual things and other things between different people and children, and all sorts of things were going on. And he said, no, 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 you're making this all up. None of that was real. Here's my theory, and I am going to explain that. So when he rejected the seduction hypothesis, he got rid of self and he got rid of hypnosis. And by 1910, uh, the idea of multiple selves in any context, pathological or as the social selves that William James talked about, uh, was gone. And you didn't really see it again until the three faces of Eve and then eventually Sybil. And then, you know, by the 70s, there was this whole uh, progressive therapist movement. But for decades and decades, this idea became what I called a meme non grata. You couldn't seriously talk about it anywhere. Nobody did. It was thought to be just like not a thing you could think about. And that's still pretty much the way it is, except for all the people who have figured out that cells are real. So it's Gurdjieff and Sri Aurobindo and Gene Houston, who is a friend of mine, and uh, a lot of, and, and then you have psychosynthesis and voice dialogue, and to a certain extent, uh, 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 I'm, I'm losing my word, uh, Gestalt theory. And, you know, a lot of these things uh, just already know this, but still, that's only in the pathological context. Most of these ideas and theories have been come up with by uh, therapists who've seen people who have problems. What we're saying is we want to take three or four steps backwards and say, hold on, let's put the pathological, negative, problematic side of this on hold. Let's just start out with the fact that the healthiest people know they have cells and have learned to work better with them. That's why they're healthy and successful in the first place. It's it's hard to kind of reimagine reconstituting psychology from the ground up based on cohesion, as we would like to do, and to get rid of dissociation. But that's what we think needs to happen. I I love that you're making it more comprehensive and accessible and kind of fun. Um, so, Jordan, do do people have the same amount of selves? Do people have different selves? I think I have three primary selves, but then I have subsets of selves. So what is your uh, thoughts about that? Well, I can see the data on pathological cases. And we like to go on the pathology, but not run with it. So in the pathological situations that people have been diagnosed with DID and MPD, usually they have 8 to 15 cells. 
when I uh, work with my men's uh, group, we, I put a whole bunch of index cards and say, let's each of you kind of really list out all of your, well, we ran out of index cards. They just kind of went crazy. And, um, <laughs> you know, what, what, what Jim has always said, and I think he's right, is that most efforts to specifically name or nail down yourselves or know exactly how many you have, most of those, you know, you can do it if you want, but you'll probably get different answers at different times. But on the other hand, you're, you're usually aware of the most prevalent ones and the way, the way they kind of cycle yes. in. We have, yes. we have a lot of uh, neuroscience folks, and, and they talk about, some of them talk about wheeling in and wheeling out uh, different cells. So uh, what I like to think about is the systems science metaphor. I do some writing work for a guy who's a systems scientist, and he talks about uh, networks of attractive basins, like the different historical situation the United States will end up in. There's like six or seven different attractive basins we might fall into. So I like to think of um, ourselves as sort of the same way. Most of the time, you know, there's a small number of cells that show up in my life and they come in and come out. Sometimes something happens and I'll be triggered into a self that I rarely see. And other times I'll go ahead and decide to, you know, bring out a really a part of me that I haven't seen for a long time. I'm not a very good poet, but I like to write poetry. So sometimes I bring that guy out. Um, so I, I think, you know, everybody's different. But the one thing that, uh, and we talk about this in the book, I, uh, I forgot some things and I lost some things and I labeled, labeled one of myself like forgetful Sam or whatever. And Jim came right back and said, no, you don't want to be putting those kind of labels on the cells that, you know, you currently don't always agree with what they want. You really want to be gentle and kind with them. You really mm. want to kind of pump them up rather than trying to make them the bad guy. They're not the bad guy. You don't have ultimately a bad guy. It's all you. So you have to find a way to, you know, see it and integrate it. Ah, uh, I like that. Yeah, I think um, my teachers would say we, we heal when we bring love and compassion to those parts of ourselves that maybe we judged. So I think that was some right. pretty great wisdom. That's pretty great. So well, we have we... a friend. Of, uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I want to hear your story. Well, I have a friend in, in Michigan, Kintler Stryker. She's a yoga worker and works with the criminal justice system and doing does trauma work. And her method is called loving them all up. You know, that's <laughs> what you got to do with yourselves. It, it's kind yeah. of that simple. Yeah, that's, that's where you want to start. You want to start with, wow, these are all parts of me. Can I just even just start there? Loving all of who I am. Oh my really. gosh, I love what you're saying so much because I feel like so many people in the world are so judgmental, but I really perceive them as judging aspects of themselves. So it's a projection. If we could just love ourselves up, if we could bring love and compassion and curiosity and kindness to all of our different inner selves, we would show up in more loving ways in our lives, we would be the change we want to see, which I think is, um, yeah. it's what works. And when other people did things, when other people did things that you weren't expecting or that didn't agree with you, you'll be more likely to cut them a break and be compassionate and yes. be kind because you're being yes. kind towards yourself. Yeah. We, we behave well. in ways outside of ourselves that we behave within ourselves. So when people are angry and judgmental, I'm like, that is a really uncomfortable human being The the, the most, um, I think hurting human beings are the ones that are the hardest to love. But if we can love ourselves more consistently and compassionately, we can have compassion for them rather than judge them. So yep. there's so much upside 
to the work that you're sharing, this book that you've written, to supporting people and understanding this within themselves. And um, I can't recommend it any higher. So, Jordan, we just have a couple minutes. Where can people um, connect with you and find out more about your work and this book? How can they find you? Well, the easiest way is to go to jordangruber.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-B-E-R.com, and you will find your symphony of cells highlighted there, and you'll be asked if you want to download a free excerpt. And then, of course, you can get the book as an audible, as a, a Kindle, or in paperback. The paperback's about 450 pages in black and white, 94 illustrations. It's a beautiful book. We love the cover, and we, you know, we feel really good about working with our publisher, Inner Traditions. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a joy. There's a lot of content and information. I've got a lot of highlights in there. It's very thought provoking. I, I mean, there's so many fun things like yes. like knowing that the, the seals, you know, they use something called dynamic subordination to teach the teams of seals how to uh, coordinate with each other when they're going into, let's say, a hot house. You can use that metaphor in working with your own life with yourselves. And there's dozens and dozens of different metaphors. So it's not a self-help book, but you can really use it to make your life a lot better. Yeah, you really hit it from a lot of different angles, altitudes, directions. You you hit it from the left brain, the right brain, from the uh, psychological, from the spiritual. It's it's uh, it's it's a, it's very uh, profound and rich and diverse and and helpful in so many ways. Oh, thank so, you so much. It's very yeah, kind. I'm just so grateful. Um, that you brought this subject forward and that you said yes to this conversation today. I've really enjoyed your book and you thoroughly. Okay. That me too. I I'm really into it. I want to keep going. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you got the part of me that's really enthusiastic about the book up right now. So it's like, bring the next interview. I'm ready. <laughs> well, you have a, you, you know, your stuff and, and uh, I've uh, brought a lot of information forward and hit some, hit you with some different questions and you've handled them masterfully and you've pivoted and it's like, it's a, uh, it's a fun dance to dance. It's a really fun yes, dance. I enjoy dancing with you as well. So my friends, my guests, my listeners, my soul siblings, thank you so much for allowing Empower Radio and Journey to Center to be a part of your day. Be in touch with me, TammyBPhD.com and let's continue the adventure onward and upward. Bye for now.